Welcome to the Daily Boogie. Hello there. Good evening, good morning, good afternoon. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to a special Friday edition of the Daily Boogie podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to be with you once again. Thank you so much for joining us. Lots to get through tonight. God is angry. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to have to discuss the angry, vengeful God on the eve of Christmas. What perfect timing. Tonight's recommended drink, eggnog. Tonight's recommended snack, a candy cane dipped in arsenic. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us and welcome to another edition of the Daily Boogie Podcast. I'm Boogie Bumper, your host. Hopefully for the next hour or so, we'll see how we go. Got so much to get through. Thank you for joining us on this special Friday edition of the program. I had to make up time for the other day. I couldn't get in. I couldn't get round to it. But then we ended up doing a stream of the President's speech anyway, so, you know, I, I, I put my hand up. <laughs> Well, I don't think I'm going to do a show. Well, maybe I'll do a show. I don't know. Do you want me to do a show? Does anybody want me to do a show? No, I'm not going to do a show. Nobody wants me to do a show. I think I'll do a show anyway. Ah! I hate this guy. Just say what you're doing and stick to it, for Christ's sake. Uh, I just want to address Marsha in the chat on DLive. Thank you very much, for Mar- uh, Marsha, for joining us. I'm, I'm terribly sorry to have wasted your time, though. Terribly Sorry. Uh, Marsha was very concerned, very alarmed at the length of the intro. Uh, you'll be pleased to know. <laughs> Thank you for playing. I specifically make the intro long for people to complain about it. So allow me. I don't want to waste any more of your time. You best trundle off. Go to another live stream where they're not going to have an eight minute intro. I can tell you next year's intro is going to be 10 minutes longer. So you better get out now. This, this entire show is a waste of your time. To be fair, I don't even know why you waited the eight minutes of the intro in the first place. 30 seconds should have been enough. I'm sure you've got better things to do. Places you'd rather be. Thank you for coming. I mean, I don't want to be responsible for holding you up. Surely there are other free programs on the internet that you could be patronising. Thank you for coming. Sharing your thoughts, you giving your advice on what would make that program better. Sharing your expertise on intro length. And of course, letting everybody know how precious your time is. So please, don't let us stop you. You best get out now. Because I don't want to be wasting your time. Thank you for joining us. To everybody else, if you'd like to become a supporter of the show, please head over to patreon.com forward slash boogie bumper. Become a subscriber by hitting the subscribe button on your preferred podcast player. And of course, if you would like to complain about the intro, then you can do so by following me on Twitter at Boogie Bumper. Thank you so much for the diamonds and the ice creams, guys. If you'd like to leave a tip during tonight's live stream, the recommended uh, way to do that is to head over to dlive.tv slash Boogie Bumper. So much to get through. So much to get through. Uh, Don't forget just a little, uh, little promo at the start of the show. 
Pirate Radio tonight, 11.30pm. Follow at Real Person PLTCS on DLive, I think, to catch Pirate Radio. At Chris MC 44 on Periscope. And or is it Pirate Radio 45 on Twitter? If you follow one of them, you're sure to hit it at some point. <laughs> you can't go wrong. Just follow all of them. And I'm sure you'll get to Pirate Radio tonight. Let's kick it off. We've got so much to get through. Thank you for joining us on this edition of the Daily Boogie. Like I said, God is angry, ladies and gentlemen. God is upset. So I was very surprised earlier this morning when I caught this on Morning Joe on MSNBC. Uh, apparently, God hath spoken. God has reached out to a Christian magazine, a Christian author, and has said, this Trump guy, I don't want anything to do with him. You need to go out there and instruct your followers, the good Christians of the world, that it's time to let Donald Trump go. On the eve of Christmas, ladies and gentlemen, we need to do the Christian thing and shun. Shun. Get rid of this guy. So let's see what they're talking about on MSNBC, folks. The prominent evangelical magazine Christianity Today, founded by the late Billy Graham, is calling on President Trump Thank you to for the diamond ad bar. Office. This is big. The this magazine's editor-in-chief... This is big news, ladies and gentlemen. This is big, guys. ...called the president's actions that led to impeachment, quote, profoundly immoral. Profoundly immoral. Writing this. The reason many are not shocked about this is that... Listen to the gloating here. Listen to the celebration here. I love the fact that uh, a place like MSNBC, who would never normally touch a Christian quote with a 10-foot pole, every other day of the year, they don't care what Christians have to say. In fact, they expressly denounce what Christians have to say because, as you all know, Christian beliefs in terms of homosexual marriage or the whole trans thing, Christian, what Christians believe is very intolerant and very bigoted. Christians are indeed, I mean, the Bible is basically hate speech, right? Every other day of the year. But today, a Christian came out and said, you know what? We need to get rid of Donald Trump. And all of a sudden, they're all on their knees praying. Thank, praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. The Christians have seen the light. Hallelujah. Isn't it wonderful? This president has dumbed down the idea of morality in his administration. He has hired and fired a number of people who are now convicted criminals. He himself has admitted to immoral actions in business Mm. and his relationship with women, about which he remains (laughs) proud. (laughs) He's admitted to his immoral relationships with women. Ladies and gentlemen, oh dear, are we are we trying to are we trying to crowbar in another pussy grab reference here? Is that what's going on here? Come on now, that was years ago. Come on, really, we're still doing this? Who knew? They need some new material. His Twitter feed alone, with his its habitual string of mischaracterizations, <laughs> God hates Trump's Twitter feed. <laughs> Yep. You know, Jesus was up there on Twitter the other day, sitting back, kicking back in a cloud. He was just scrolling through Twitter and he came across Donald Trump's Twitter feed. And he said, this is, this is immoral. Is this, guy, is, this, is this guy one of ours? We can't have this. We're not going to be representing this kind of thing up here. 
somebody needs to get in, tra- in touch with this Donald Trump guy and tell him that this Twitter feed is very anti-Christian. This is unacceptable. God doesn't like Twitter, apparently. I think God's more of an Instagram guy. I'm not sure. Lies and slanders is a near perfect example of a human being who is morally, morally lost, lost and, confused. and confused. Trump's evangelical supporters, the editorial continues, have pointed to his Supreme Court nominees, his defense of religious liberty and his stewardship of the economy, among other things, as achievements that justify their support of the president. The impeachment hearings have illuminated the president's moral deficiencies. Moral deficiencies. For all to see. None of the president's positives can balance the moral and political danger we face <laughs> danger. under a of such grossly immoral character. Wow. We should note that the magazine was also critical of Bill Clinton 21 years ago, writing, oh. quote, unsavory dealings and immoral acts right. by the president and those close to him have rendered this administration morally unable to lead. Okay, so you've been told, guys, uh, are there any Christians in the audience tonight? Are there any Christians amongst us? I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news here, uh, but you have been told. You've been instructed. You are to get your spiritual dressing down from the good people at Christianity Today. You have been told by Christians who are better Christians than you, people of strong moral virtue, they have wagged their finger and it is on you to get in line. You need to get behind the impeachment of the president. Ask yourself, what would Jesus do? And you'll find the answer, whatever Christianity Today says he should do. Isn't it fantastic? Well done, Christianity Today. It's time to get rid of the president because some Christian writer says so. Uh, In other news, why MSNBC ignores everything that comes out of a Christian's mouth every other day of the year and what makes this day different? I want to show you a little article here. George Conway, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, This was sent through by General Eaton on the Discord. If you want to join the Discord, you can find a link on my timeline somewhere. George Conway and other conservative critics launch pack to take down Trump. It's about time, I hear you say. The thing I love about George Conway, ladies and gentlemen, is he is a fine example of modern masculinity. He is only there because of who his wife is. Right? Like, if he wasn't married to Kellyanne Conway, nobody would care what George Conway has to say. Nobody would even know George Conway's name. But because, specifically because of who he is married to, that's the only reason he gets booked on these little speaking tours. It's the only reason he gets on the news. Do you reckon he knows that? You know, once upon a time, men used to be really upset when their wife earned more than them. Can you imagine being George Conway? Knowing that your entire uh, public life, your entire existence in the public eye, and every opinion you put out there, every opinion piece, every podcast performance, every radio hit, every TV hit, is wholly, entirely and wholly dependent on you remaining married to the woman who works for the guy that you hate. You know, George, she spends more time with Donald Trump than she does with you. I mean, I don't want to get in the middle of, you know, any kind of marital friction here. But she does spend a lot of time with the guy that you hate, doesn't she? She spends a lot of time with Donald Trump. 
That's got to suck. It's got to be awful for George. As Americans, this is a quote, as Americans, we must stem the damage he and his followers are doing to the rule of law, the Constitution, and the American character. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, George Conway wants to protect the character of all Americans. Look at him. (laughs) Angry guy who's famous because of who his wife is. It's up to him to defend the American character, not you. A group of conservative critics of President Donald Trump, including lawyer George Conway, husband of White House aide Kellyanne Conway, is launching a super PAC that will spend the next year working against Trump's re-election and Trump loyalism within the GOP. Now, we know from statistics, we know from polling data, we know from internal polling that, believe it or not, for George Conway, President Trump is more popular with Republicans than even Ronald Reagan was. So he's kind of fighting an uphill battle already. Thank you for the diamond, Joanne. He's already fighting an uphill battle. He's trying to take down literally the most popular Republican president of Republicans of all time. We need to protect the American character. We need to protect the rest of the people who disagree. All 96% of them. They've all been brainwashed. They're all part of a cult. I'm the real deal. I know the truth. I'm having sex with Kellyanne Conway, allegedly. Occasionally, at some point in the past. I'm the guy you need to come to. This is a quote. Patriotism and the survival of our nation in the face of the crimes, corruption and corrosive nature of Donald Trump are a higher calling than mere politics. The founders of the Lincoln Project wrote in a New York Times opinion piece published Tuesday, quote, As Americans, we must stem the damage he and his followers are doing to the rule of of law. Are you a Donald Trump follower? Are you damaging the rule of law, ladies and gentlemen? How are you doing that? Do you have unpaid parking tickets? Perhaps you crossed against a signal once. I'm sure you did. You know, every single time you walk into a supermarket or a shopping mall without wiping your feet, you're damaging the rule of law. Did you know that? Why don't you have a little more consideration? Why don't you think about people other than yourself for a change? Disgusting. Disgusting behaviour. As Americans, we must stem the damage he and his followers are doing to the rule of law, the Constitution, and the American character. Yes. George Conway is going to protect the American character, the morbidly obese slob who only gets on TV because of who his wife is. This guy is this guy is the epitome of the American character, right? He's somebody you should look up to. At least you would if he wasn't four foot ten. But this is certainly this guy is the exemplar of the American character. Uh, do you know who else is in this little group? This little crew that he's put together of uh, GOP members who are against Donald Trump, who are going to save the Republican Party from itself. I present to you Stephen Schmidt. (laughs) Stephen Schmidt is Robin to George Conway's Batman. He's second in charge of this little super PAC that's going to take down the president. And just a refresher, this is from 2018, ladies and gentlemen. Schmidt, Trump's only affinity for reading anything were the Adolf Hitler speeches he kept on his nightstand. Yes. Yes. 
This is this is the super PAC that's taking down Donald Trump, ladies and gentlemen. People who accuse him of going to bed reading Adolf Hitler speeches. These people are very reasonable. This is protecting American character. GOP strategist Steve Schmidt said Tuesday that President Trump's only affinity for reading anything were the Adolf Hitler speeches he kept on his nightstand. I'm not sure that's true. He enjoyed reading the ratings for The Apprentice. I know that's something. I know from time to time he enjoys reading Fox News, so I've been led to believe. Apparently that's all false. He only read Hitler speeches. Nothing but Hitler speeches. Just just a stack. Just a stack of Hitler stuff. Loves it. Schmidt, Senator John McCain's presidential campaign manager in 2008. So a guy who obviously knows something about winning elections. <laughs> why, why is anybody taking advice from John McCain's campaign manager? You know, you know, I, you know, John, I think it'd be a good idea if you have Sarah Palin as your vice presidential candidate. See you in hell. I know what I'm talking about. I'm a strategist. He also said Trump's victory over Democratic presidential nominee Hillary Clinton was a fluke. It fluked it. <laughs> it's just luck. It was just dumb luck, guys. No no planning went into it whatsoever. No strategy went into it whatsoever. The guy who ran John McCain's campaign is the real winner. Donald Trump, who actually won, eh, it was just lucky. Just a fluke. So in the 240th year of the independence of the United States, in three states by 78,000 votes, it's more like 90,000 votes to be fair, but I mean accuracy. The American people by a fluke elected an imbecilic former reality TV host and con man whose only affinity for reading anything were the Adolf Hitler speeches he kept on his nightstand. Schmidt told co-hosts Joe Scarborough and Mika Brzezinski. So there you go. Who's the guy that's going to protect the GOP from itself? Who's the guy that's going to take down Donald Trump? Well, there's two of them. Two halves making a whole. One guy is George Conway, the man who only gets gigs because of who his wife is. And the other guy is Stephen Schmidt, who ran John McCain's presidential campaign in 2008 and claims with no evidence whatsoever that the only thing the president has read throughout his entire life are Adolf Hitler speeches. I'm sure you're shaking in your boots. The big hitters are coming after you now. The heavy hitters, folks. Oh, dear. Dear, oh, dear. Uh, I tuned into a little bit of the Democrat debates last night. Who else watched a little bit of the Democrat debates? Hands up. Anybody? Anybody catch any of this? Some very important things were discussed. Very, very important things. Uh, Tom Steyer, ladies and gentlemen, was asked about immigration. Let's see what Tom's got to say for himself. I think it's important to note that this president is not against immigration. He's against immigration by non-white people. Right. <laughs> non-white. <laughs> Gee, they're, they're so creative. They're so imaginative. Don't you love the fact that on this Democrat debate stage, all of the front runners for the Democrat Party nomination are white people? Don't you love the fact that Cory Booker is angry at Democrat voters because Kamala Harris had to drop out because nobody supported her campaign? Do you remember that? We played the clips a couple of weeks ago. 
you know what? I'm angry because there's not enough diversity on that stage. They're all white people. So the Democrat voters are preferencing white nominees, obviously because they're racist. And one of these white nominees, rich old white guy standing up, rich old white guy is going to lecture you about racism. Isn't it great? Oh, this is a winning strategy, I'm sure. This is exactly what all Democrats are worried about. Every single Democrat voter only cares about racism. Didn't you know? Well, Tom Steyer is going to tell you about it. Yes. Yes. This is his yes. attempt to divide us, as Senator Sanders said, on right. race. Right. And that's what he's been doing since the very first day he started <sighs> running for president. Ah. He's been vilifying non-white people. White. He's been trying to white inflame people. his base inflame and his scare base. them that if, in fact, white people lose <laughs> control them. of this country, them. that they're going to lose control of their lives. Now, why is this important? Which state does this guy come from? Did you hear what he said there? Donald Trump is trying to inflame his base and scare them into thinking that if they lose a majority, they'll lose control of their lives. Now, pay attention to which state this guy is from and why this is important. And as somebody who lives in a majority-minority state, which is California, ah, what he's doing is so wrong ah, on so many different levels. Right. I agree with Senator Sanders. Yes. We have to yes. reframe this argument completely. Right. We have to go back to the idea that every American uh -huh. is worth being a full human being on every right. Uh, this is a racial argument okay. by a racist president right. who's trying to divide us and who's mm. vilifying people. It's absolutely wrong, mm. and it's led him to break the laws of mm. humanity in our name. Thank you, Mr. Sire. Okay. Breaking the laws of humanity. <laughs> I didn't know there was such a law. <laughs> but putting that to one side. So why this is fun for me, because the guy from California who is saying that it's a fear campaign when Republicans talk about illegal immigration. Of course, that he's not using those words. He's dumbing it down for low IQ voters to say it's just about brown people. It's not about the legality or the illegality of people crossing without any kind of background check, without any kind of paper, just wandering in, wandering into a sovereign nation. No, that's not the issue. That's not the issue at all. The real issue here is he just doesn't like brown people. So why this is funny for me as the guy who comes from California, we read a story on this very show two weeks ago, gloating. It was an editorial in the LA Times, do you remember? And the author for this editorial in the LA Times was gloating about the fact that mass immigration has basically ruined the Republican Party in California. They were cheering, they were dancing, clapping, singing. Yay for illegal immigration because now the GOP is outnumbered and they can never win another election. Hooray! So at the same time, whilst Democrats from California celebrate the fact that mass immigration is changing the demographics so much so that Republicans can never win another election in California, the Democrat from California tries to tell you that it's all a fear campaign and it's not really happening. <laughs> He's trying to divide us on race. Here in California, we're not dividing anybody by race. We just celebrate the fact that mass immigration means that nobody will ever vote for a Republican ever again. We're not dividing up people by race. Thank God we've got so many people of other races because they hate the, Dem uh, the Republicans. Isn't it wonderful? Isn't it fantastic? Yay!
Yay! <laughs> I also love the fact that he mentioned a fear campaign. Uh, Donald Trump is running a fear campaign. We did a whole podcast about fear campaigns. This entire debate was a fear campaign. Don't believe me? Fear of climate change. Fear of free speech. Fear of rich guys. Fear of the economy. Fear of Donald Trump. That was a big one. Every question and every answer was grounded in fear. This answer itself, while he's accusing people of running a fear campaign, is trying to stoke fear. Donald Trump is racist. He hates you. The people who voted for him want to lock you up. They hate you. They hate brown people. It's disgusting. He's trying to inflame his supporters into hating you too. Every topic, every platform is about fear. Oh, no, it's the other guys who are... No, no, we're not doing the fear campaign over here. Not at all. Our campaign has nothing to do with fear. Uh, By the way, if you don't vote for us, Donald Trump is going to destroy the republic. It's going to burn down in flames. And then climate change is going to cause the earth to open up. And we're all going to drown in molten lava. If you don't vote for us. If you don't vote for us, Donald Trump, Vladimir Putin is going to roll tanks down Washington, D.C. Don't vote for them, though, because all they're running is a fear campaign. Something about illegal immigration. I don't know. I think they just hate brown people. Am I right? I think that's all it is. They're just racists. <laughs> they're very slow learners. Sarah Sanders, ladies and gentlemen, before we get on to other news, I want to touch on uh, Great Britain, by the way. See what's happening over in the old dart. But before we do, uh, Sarah Sanders, I've got to give Sarah big smack, Sarah. Sarah came out and apologized to Joe Biden last night. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Dear, oh, dear. No, 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 Sarah. Never apologize. Thank you for the diamonds. Let's see why Sarah Sanders is so sorry. Former White House Press Secretary Sarah Sanders did something that her former boss almost never does, apologize. And what's more... (laughs) Great comment in the chat from Mr. Bearded Truth. You know, the best way to save the environment is to just nuke the world. I couldn't agree more. More here, her mea culpa was for the former Vice President Joe Biden. This all stems from the comment that uh, the former Vice President made during last night's Democratic presidential debate. My wife and I have a call list of somewhere between 20 and 100 people that we call at least every week or every month to tell them I'm here. I give them my private phone number. They keep in touch with me. The little kid who says, I can't talk, what do I do? So Sarah Sanders then tweeted a comment mocking Biden, writing, quote, I have absolutely no idea what Biden... No. That's not true. See, if you're going to read the tweet, can we at least read it accurately, Brooke? Sarah Sanders did not write, I have absolutely no idea what Biden is talking about. She wrote, and I quote, I, 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 I have absolutely no idea what Biden is talking about. At least be accurate, right? At least read it the way it's written. Can you not give her that respect? She wrote it for that. She wrote it in a way, it's in the way that it's meant to be read. Okay is talking about, to which Biden actually responded, saying, I've worked my whole life life. to overcome a stutter. And it's my great honor to mentor kids who have experienced the same. It's called empathy. Look it up. Look it up. Why don't you get yourself some empathy? Uh, Remember when 
uh, Sarah Sanders was at the press press gallery uh, luncheon, the the fucking gala event or whatever it was. Why don't you get some empathy, you fat pig? <laughs> Remember when they were hitting Sarah Sanders from all sides for the way she looked, how she looks, how she talks. Remember that? Jesus, Sarah. Jesus, you you fat, disgusting slob. Why don't you get some empathy? Oh, this woman. This woman insulting people. How dare she? I I you know what? I I need to be fair to Joe Biden. He's 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 a great mentor for children. And uh speech impediments are no joke. And it's one of the things that you should never ever make fun of anybody for. So I want to congratulate Joe Biden for resting his hands gently on the children who need his guidance, mentoring them. You know, if only uh, a lot of these kids had somebody to grab them by the shoulders and just lean in and whisper into their ears, give them the confidence that they need to speak. Perhaps a little sniff of the hair from time to time. Anything to relax them, just pat them on the head. Maybe just rub them on the torso a little bit just to relax them. That's what kids need, you know. Anything to put the kid's mind at ease. Maybe just a little gentle kiss on the back of the head. That will definitely make the children feel better. You know, uh, kids with speech impediments, they, it's, a, it's an anxiety thing. It's a stress thing. So if you can take a photo with these children and perhaps just brush your hand across their nipples, drag them close into your crotch, in front of their parents. Lightly just pat their hair, move it out of their eyes, put it behind their ears, put another hand on their shoulder, rub them up, make them feel special. Maybe that will make all the difference. Maybe that will make the children feel comfortable. You know, Joel's, Joe's just an old-fashioned guy. You know, they used to do this thing all the time back in the day. For some reason, society is now at the point where they say this kind of thing is unacceptable. And I don't, I don't know. I think Joe's onto something. Uh, you know, he has spent his entire life getting really close to children. And that he should be commended for that. Well done, Joe. Mentoring, they call it. Uh, he, so he's been mentoring children for a long time. And that's, that's nothing to make, make jokes about. So well done, Joe Biden. Thus then triggering this response from Sanders, Triggered. quote, I actually didn't know that about you, and that is commendable. I apologize and should have made my point respectfully. Yes. As Sanders put down comms, as Trump implied, a late member of Congress, John Dingell, might mm. be in hell. Uh, oh. He said that this week at that Michigan oh. rally, and as Republicans likened impeachment to Jesus Christ and the bombing of Pearl Harbor. Right. <laughs> so what a week it's been. CNN contributor Frank Bruni is a New York Times Frank columnist, Bruni. one of my absolute favorite people, just to talk to about where we are in America. Yeah. Where are we? Where are we? <laughs> where are we in America? Uh, I think it's either New York, Washington, or Florida. Big one. And so let's just first, let's let's come back to Sarah Sanders' apology in just a second. But the mm. fact that we are in a place yes. where the former press secretary of the White House yes. felt emboldened, emboldened. To, to, to share an opinion on Twitter? How dare she? Doesn't she know her place? She should be silent unless spoken to. I tell you what, this fat, disgusting slob and liar and criminal who helped Donald Trump, she needs to learn herself some empathy. Am I right? 
Say what she did about a former vice president. Says what? Mm. It says we're as, as Finkter says what? In a really low place, and she's not just oh. the former White House press secretary. Oh, we're in a really low place. The vice president says what? It says we're in a really low place, and she's not just huh. the former White House press secretary. No. She's a woman who identifies proudly as a Christian, yeah, yeah. who's the daughter of an ordained Southern Baptist oh. minister. And if this is the way you practice or model religiousness, then I'm completely baffled. Why are these people now lecturing? <laughs> well, if, if you're going to call yourself a Christian for saying something on Twitter, well, again, God hates Twitter. More evidence, ladies and gentlemen. More evidence. What is with all of these Christians thinking they have a right to say things? Somebody needs to learn these Christians a little bit of what for about their own religion. For Christ's sake. Well, I'm very distressed. You know, yes, naughty Christians again. <laughs> they can't help themselves. The cheeky little devils. You know, I'm very distressed. She says that she's a devout Christian. She's the daughter of an ordained minister because daughters of ministers have never done anything wrong before. They've never they've never done anything non-Christian before. <laughs> you know, uh, here on CNN, we believe that unless Christians do everything perfectly the way we want to and never say anything we don't like, then they're not good Christians. By the way, all Christians are bad. By the way, the Bible is hate speech. By the way, can't you be a better Christian? Shouldn't you be more fundamentalist? By the way, we hate fundamentalist Christians. They're very confused. But it is emblematic of the emblematic. political debate. Do you think uh, that yeah. had the former vice president not had a stutter and had that not been something he had dealt with that she would have even said sorry? Uh, no, I'm not. No, why should she? <laughs> so, so now we're making the argument, but what if Joe Biden didn't have a stutter? Should she still apologize? Yes, absolutely she should. It's a disgusting thing to say. It's a disgusting thing to do to make fun of the way somebody speaks. Coming up after the break, 20 minutes of people laughing at how Donald Trump pronounces China. China. We're going to go over there to China because they've been taking our industries. Okay. Unbelievable, this stuff. I'm not sure she would have because that she was waging political warfare the way it's waged today. Waging political warfare. <laughs> um, and he used the word empathy, which is a great one. We talk about it. He, he, he used the word empathy. That's a great thing to say. Boom. Mic drop. Snap. Sick burn, bro. Endangered species. I feel like empathy in America right now is, oh, is an endangered, endangered emotion. Yeah. 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 Um, where, where was all again? Where was all this empathy talk when she was being lampooned at the press gallery dinner? Remember that? And she came out and said, "Well, you know, it's okay. They're allowed to say what they want." And anybody who came out and said, "Gee, that was a little harsh on Sarah," they're like, "Can't you take a joke? You're fucking idiot. Why don't you relax? What are you, a snowflake?" All of a sudden, now it's like, "Oh, we got to have all this empathy." See, empathy to these people doesn't mean what you think it means. Their empathy means something different entirely.
their empathy is used as a kind of force field where any kind of attack, any kind of comment, any kind of opinion that doesn't directly fall in line behind them as the moral and intellectual leaders of our time, anything outside that very narrow window of thought, well, that's when the empathy card gets played, right? Empathy means to these people, shut the fuck up. Empathy is about being able to put yourself in the mind of somebody else. Empathy is not sympathy. Empathy is trying to understand the motivations and the perceptions of somebody other than yourself, right? But to these people, empathy means stop picking on me. That's it. (laughs) Empathy is the get out of conversation free card. Empathy is the shut the hell up, you nasty person. And I don't know why she apologized. Should have just left it where it was. And let people come at her and say, uh, Sarah, don't you think you should apologize? And say, no, fuck him. <laughs> I'm not not apologizing. I don't care. Fuck him. What are you going to do? <laughs> people would have been like, exactly. Never apologize because now what happens, right? The apology gets played on all of these little programs. And if the apology actually worked, then people might be, you know, I might be more willing to say, okay, you can apologize. But apologies don't work. The apologies aren't about, you know, the apologies aren't about placating somebody's feeling of offense. That's not why people demand apologies in media. It's not why people demand apologies in politics. When people demand apologies of others in the media and in politics, it's all about power. It's a power play. It is the power of victimhood. They are saying to the other person, I have power over your speech. I have the power to make you denounce your own words. I am aggrieved and you will kneel to me. You will bow to me. I will decide what you can and can't say. I will decide where your free speech ends because I say so, because I'm demanding an apology, because I'm the offended one here. I'm the victim. You will do what I say. That's what it is. And if you don't believe me, just look at the next time somebody demands an apology and somebody else gives them that apology. What happens after they give the apology? Does it go away? Do the people say, well, thank you for that apology. I'm glad that we we got to this. Now we can move forward. No, it doesn't end there. After the apology, the conversation is then, oh, you know what? I don't think that apology was good enough. I think you should lose your job as well. I think you should lose your job and get kicked off Twitter and get kicked off YouTube because, uh, you know, it's all well and good making the apology, but I don't think you've learned your lesson. Do you remember Laura Ingram and... uh, What's the guy's name? Hogg? David Hogg? Remember, she said something about him getting into university. He demanded an apology. She came out the next day and said, look, I shouldn't have said that. That was a dumb thing to say. I'm sorry. I apologize. He came out the very next day. I don't care if she apologized. We're going after her sponsors. (laughs) Why apologize then? Because now you've just taken the power away from yourself to keep hitting them. Now you have alienated all of your supporters who supported you in the first place when you made the statement. By apologizing, you are handing power to the person who's demanding it. 
And I'm not talking about like in everyday life. Like if you're a dick to someone in your real life then and you didn't mean to be, then apologize, right? Like, uh, you know what? I was a fucking idiot. Sorry. But when you're talking about these, you know, political games and these media people and the way they try to shoehorn people into positions where they become subservient to the narrative, uh, demanding apologies is just all about power and nothing more. So never apologize. Never. It's probably part of the reason why they hate Donald Trump, because he never does. Uh, let's have a look at this. I thought this was fun. Then we'll get on to Boris the Johnson over in the UK. Thank you for joining us, everyone. You're on the Daily Boogie. It's an absolute pleasure to be with you on a Friday night. Let's rock and roll. Is impeachment, this was on NBC News, is impeachment cushioning Trump's re-election war chest? I, I suspect it is. <laughs> Every time the Democrats do something outrageous to push for this nonsensical impeachment, it motivates me to make another $25 donation to the campaign. <laughs> Gee, we're really convincing people. This is going exactly the way I thought it was going to go. You know, every time they mention impeachment, I just I just start throwing money at them. <laughs> every time they mention impeachment, I'm like, honey, bring me my fucking checkbook. They're at it again. We're, we're dipping into the kids' college fund. I don't care. Get all the money out of the bank. Honey, Nancy Pelosi's on TV. Can we get another loan? Can we remortgage the house, please? And even after the... Whoa! Fantastic. I, I didn't know the news was getting so progressive. She, she looks like she should be hosting something on MTV, right? Good honor. President was impeached. His campaign still... Next, I want to see a guy hosting NBC with, like, neck tattoos. Then I'll know that we've fully come... Then I'll know that we are fully embracive of other views and fully diverse and fully tolerant. Some guy hosting CNN. I want Brian Stelter to be replaced by a guy with a shaved head and neck tattoos and a nose ring. Welcome to CNN. Breaking in the big box. Take a look at this email the Trump campaign sent out today asking for donations. In fact, his campaign says it raised $5 million yesterday for Trump's re-election <laughs> and the Republican <laughs> National Convention. Simone Boyce has more. $5 million in one day. Just one. <laughs> you know, this is a very somber occasion. This is a very solemn, somber occasion. Uh, none of us want to impeach the president. And then, you know, Rashida Tlaib is just in the background going, woohoo, yeah, we're going to impeach the motherfucker, yeah. Shut up, Rashida. You know, this is, this was a solemn day. And none of us, none of us are here. Uh, by choice. Uh, we're here to protect the Constitution and uh, do our duty, our duty to protect uh, what the founders wrote. Uh, you know, they wrote, uh, this, is, this is exactly what they wrote the Constitution for, for us to do this. And it's a very solemn occasion. And uh, no more questions about impeachment. I want to talk about trade deals. So I won't be taking any questions about impeachment, but uh, this is a very solemn occasion. We're going to impeach President Trump. And all you can hear in the background is just like, ching, ding, ching, ding, ching, ding. Shut up and take my money. Nancy Pelosi comes out and, and the, the impeachment vote goes through. 
and people just start shoveling money into the GOP coffers. And this is why I said on the show earlier in the week, when we did the uh, the President Trump's rally in Michigan, right? This is exactly why I said uh, using a victim narrative works very well for Donald Trump. Now, I'm not saying he is a victim, but they're playing into his hands by attacking him this way. And surely they must know this, right? Surely they can see it. That Donald Trump is very, very good at rallying people to his cause by saying that he is being unfairly targeted. Because it makes his supporters go, yeah, fuck yeah. We in the trenches now. Because I've watched too many of these reports and I've read too many op-ed pieces where the author and the speaker are just, they're beside themselves. They can't figure it out. We've been talking about Donald Trump being impeached for two years, but his support is only going up. Why is that the case? How is that happening? We just can't, they, they can't understand why his base support has not decreased. They haven't figured it out yet. And it's because they're turning it into an us versus them thing. And of course, Trump is doing a smart thing. He's using that dynamic, the us versus them dynamic, and he, instead of saying they're trying, they're coming after me, they're trying to bring me down, he says to his, his crowd when he talks like that, what does he say? They're coming after you. They're trying, to, they're trying to undo what you want. They're trying to take your president. They're trying to take your Congress. They're destroying your constitution by coming after me. They can't figure it out why this isn't working for them. And then you get little stories like this on NBC. The day that they announced that they're uh, voting for impeachment to impeach Donald Trump, $5 million rolls in the door. Like that. Like that. And if they keep going, more money will come in and more money will come in and supporters will be more in line and more in step. People will dig deeper trenches, ladies and gentlemen. Nobody's turning around on the battlefield now. The battle lines are drawn. Now the battle is only over the hearts and minds of those in the middle, the independents. And by all indications, just last week, President Trump's approval rating went up six points in one week. So it's not working for them. We're on this unconventional strategy. Contributions of more than $200 to Trump's re-election campaign added up to around $60,000 on the day before the impeachment announcement and then jumped to over $350,000 on September 24th, according to the Center for Public Integrity. And within 24 hours of Pelosi's press conference, Trump's campaign and the RNC had reportedly raised $13 million. <laughs> Nancy Pelosi needs to be given a round of applause. If you are a Donald Trump supporter in the United States, ladies and gentlemen, if you are a devout Republican, you should be praising Nancy Pelosi. She is the best fundraiser the GOP has ever had. Like, literally, statistically. Nobody has ever raised more funds for the GOP than Nancy Pelosi. It's quite extraordinary. She, sh she should be getting invited to the Republican convention. It's like she should be getting a fucking award. They should, she, they should be bringing her out on stage. Ladies and gentlemen, round of applause for Nancy Pelosi raising so much money for Trump's re-election. Thank you, Nancy. They should put her painting up, you know, in caucus. <laughs> 
She should be sending, they should be sending out thank you cards to the Democrats for this. <laughs> Kimmy, in the chat, she's our best player. She She's winning the man of the match award. They're going to say in 2020, the most influential person in the president's re-election campaign was not Donald Trump. It was not Brad Pascal. It was not uh, William Barr. It was not uh, John Durham. It was Nancy Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi elected Donald Trump. Well done, Nancy. It really is a bipartisan presidency. Five million came from small dollar donors like Christina Eilenfeldt. I do feel that I've been motivated more so to donate to this uh, fundraising uh, because of what's been going on with the impeachment hearings. Is there anything that the president could do in your eyes that would be wrong or that would betray your trust and support? Yes, if there is something that would need to be... Thanks, Nancy. Very cool. <laughs> ...looked at and uncovered... I would absolutely say that that's what needs to be done. Uh, I just feel that in this particular case, there is such a hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Eilenfeldt lives in Macomb County, Michigan. Michigan! A pivotal swing district that helped decide the 2016 election. She finds the whole impeachment inquiry unfair and rife with hypocrisy. Oh. So she's oh. upping her contribution. Quite honestly, <laughs> I think I speak to a lot of people. The left has been wanting to impeach this president since... 19 minutes after he took office. Very specific. Stand up. Defend the president. That warlike rhetoric defines... Warlike rhetoric. (laughs) God. Yes. Defending your... Asking your supporters to help defend the president, which uh, you say is being ejected from office under false pretenses. Why? These people are practically terrorists. They're going to war. What the hell is wrong with them? Just a shout out. I can see uh, Denver Knight in the chat. If you missed it last night, Denver Knight was on my favorite things with Why Censored. Follow at Why Censored on Twitter and you can watch uh, Karen Denver Knight and the lovely Why Censored talking about all things about strange names that sound German and uh, what it means to be a woke bay. So check out at Why Censored on Twitter for that show, which was on last night. My favorite things. The fundraising appeals voters like Christina receive on a daily basis. The campaign is even selling impeachment-themed merchandise. Receive <laughs> on a that? daily basis. The campaign is even selling impeachment-themed merchandise. Yeah, they're really scared. <laughs> Can you believe this? It is. It is such an obvious pothole that these people have just stumbled into. You know what I mean? It's like they're playing Marco Polo in a shark-infested tank at an aquarium. Yeah, sounds good. Like, just jump in. Who cares? <laughs> it's, quite, it's quite brilliant. The Trump campaign is monetizing Democrat outrage. So not only is the impeachment narrative actually working for Donald Trump when it comes to winning over independents who see the process as corrupt, rightly or wrongly, not even having the argument. That's what they they see. That's why they're supporting him, right? That's why his approval is going up. Not only are they doing that, not only are they getting more donations thanks specifically to the impeachment narrative, which is over time putting the Democrats in a worse position than they otherwise would be, money-wise. Not only are they doing that, not only are they reaching out to... Uh, Democrats, moderate Democrats in purple swinging districts 
where the Democrat won in 2018 in Congress by sometimes a few hundred votes, where impeachment is very, very, very unpopular. Not only are they targeting those voters now, not only are they doing all of that, they're now putting out merchandise based on the impeachment of their own president. (laughs) Why not? This is how serious they're taking it. This is how scared they are. You know, Nancy's talking about impeaching Donald Trump on television again. Great. Let's let's put out another T-shirt. Let's get another T-shirt out there. This, this, these things are flying off the shelves like hotcakes. People can't get enough of them. Well done. Nice. RNC spokesperson Liz Harrington says the first public impeachment hearing brought in another $3 million. In just- <laughs> every, t- every time they talk about impeachment, the money comes rolling in. Utterly fantastic. So I think a big round of applause is in order for Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats. Nancy Pelosi, well done. The world's history's most successful fundraiser for the Republican Party. She's an absolute weapon. What a genius when it comes to raising funds. <laughs> she, she's working for the GOP and she doesn't even know it. Uh, I've got a couple of things to show you here. Let's let's dip over to the UK for a moment, shall we? Uh, UK Neil shared this tweet uh, with me the other day. Somebody on Sky News talking about what it means now after the election that Boris Johnson won in the manner he did. If you've been living under a rock or you just don't pay attention to anything uh, going on outside in the UK, then allow me to just refresh your memory. Uh, Jeremy Corbyn and the Labour Party ran on two platforms. One, uh, we don't really know what we want to do about Brexit, but we're, we're sure that we should just keep talking about it and not leave. And the other platform is, however woke we are now, we need to be twice as woke. We need to be more woke. We need to be more progressive. We need to do more about climate change. We need to do more about hate speech. And we really need to just progress at lightning speed. Right to We need to get as close to socialism as we can possibly get. In the aftermath of this, Jeremy Corbyn had his ass handed to him electorally in a landslide defeat that has not been seen since the early 1930s, ladies and gentlemen, Labor seats that were held by the Labor Party for 50, 60, and in some cases almost 100 years flipped to the conservative side of politics for the first time. And after this overwhelming, destructive defeat for the Labor Party, you now have people in the corporate press coming out and saying, well, you know what? Uh, The real problem was people just don't like Jeremy Corbyn, the person, but all of his policies were very popular. (laughs) Jeremy Corbyn's popular. Everybody wants the progressive policies. They just didn't want Jeremy Corbyn. It's like, ah, okay. Okay, then. If, if If that helps you sleep at night, fair enough. So what does this all mean for the UK? Congratulations, the UK. What does this all mean now that uh, Boris Johnson has an outright majority in the Houses of Parliament in London? Oh, that wasn't what I wanted to do. Uh, But yes, uh, there's been a lot of uh, speculation that perhaps uh, with this big majority that Boris Johnson might be, uh, will pivot away from some of the more extreme Brexit positions that he felt obliged to take hitherto as a result of his reliance on the European Research Group and the hard uh, group of Brexiters within the Conservative Party. My take on this bit of legislation, my take on that more generally, is I suspect that it's highly unlikely to happen. Boris Johnson has achieved power, considerable power, substantial power, dominance near... 
on the back of these so-called fringe hard extreme views. Don't you just love the fact that they they have the they have the balls. They have the audacity to call his policy platforms that he ran on in this campaign fringe, extreme, unpopular, hardline, right? All of these scary, nasty words. Oh, nobody wants the extreme, hardline, fringe views. Nobody except all of the people who voted for him, which is most of the people, which delivered, like I said, an electoral landslide not seen since the early 1930s. But nobody wants those. No, no, no. They really like the policies of the guy who got fucking emulsified at the election. That's what they really want. (laughs) They really want the unpopular policies on the losing side. I mean, come on, it's obvious. Extreme fringe far-right policies. Oh, oh my God. Oh, lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. (laughs) They've got the audacity to say nobody wants them. Hegemony over British politics right now as a result of his alliance with the European Research Group and has just won a majority of 80 on the basis of uh, a reasonably hard vision of Brexit. (laughs) Still saying it. Still saying it. He got, an, he got a majority of 80 based on a hard vision of Brexit. No, it seems like it's the overwhelmingly popular vision of Brexit. You're going to have to try and you're going to have to come to terms with this redefinition that's happening here. Just because you say something is on the fringe, just because you say something is on the edge, just because you say something is hardline doesn't necessarily make it fucking so. Outside of the corporate media bubble, outside of the London bubble, outside of the Washington DC bubble, outside of the corporate media cable news bubble in the United States, what you view as the fringe is actually really popular. You're the fringe. You're the extreme. You're on the edge. You are the overwhelming minority when it comes to politics. You're a teeny tiny little speck. Everybody else disagrees. And even when they prove it to you in an election by handing a historic majority to the guy that you say is on the fringe, you still come out and say, well, I can't believe all of these people voted for such extreme fringe, hardline, unpopular views. (laughs) Unbelievable. Got a mandate for from the country. The chances, I think, of him pivoting away from that are unlikely. Why would he? I think that this bit of legislation that is now being Thank you for the follow. See you in hell. Uh, really adverts to that and encapsulates that. And just a rude reminder, rude awakening for MPs who are in the rude last parliament awakening. coming to this parliament. Who are you so accustomed to having such power over the government that they could... <laughs> Ducks Regis, breaking news. Confused UK voters accidentally cast votes for candidate they liked the best. <laughs> Wound and prod and cajole and force it to do uh, all sorts of things yep. that they didn't want to do because it had no majority. A rude awakening for them this morning because Boris Johnson has a majority of 80. He's going back on some of the promises that he made around workers' uh, rights uh, and parliamentary lock on the future uh, arrangements, the future trade deal that he was willing to cede in the previous parliament. Yep. That apparently is all going. Yep. He's doing that because he has a majority. A rude awakening for them that in a majority government, particularly a government with a big majority, opposition from the opposition, and even potentially from within the Conservative Party, counts for a hell of a lot less, indeed almost naught, compared to what it did in the Parliament that's just passed. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Boris the Destroyer. We're setting up our next narrative. He's practically a dictator. You know, democracy would be great if it wasn't for these pesky voters getting in the way all the time, am I right? It's these annoying pesky voters who keep coming up 
and voting for people that we know are on the fringe. We know they're on the edge. We know that they're in the dark fringes of society. We know that they're the extremists. If these voters didn't stop handing majorities to these fringe extreme conspiracy theorists, then democracy would work fine. I guess we better find another way to remove Boris Johnson outside of the ballot box and Trump as well. You know, we need to, we need to get rid of these fringe extreme, uh, you know, sliver of minority living out there on the extreme ends of ideology. We need to get rid of these people that uh, voters keep voting for. Voters don't know what they want. I think that much is obvious. I have to show you this. Jeremy Corbyn, ladies and gentlemen. <coughs> this is in the aftermath of the electoral defeat. Uh, the worst for 80 years for the Labor Party. Now, Jeremy Corbyn needs to find something to be angry about because he's just lost. He needs to ramp up the fear. He needs to get people motivated about the Labor Party again. So what has he got? I mean, basically everything that Boris Johnson ran on was supported. He's got a thumping majority. Nobody wants Jeremy Corbyn. Nobody wants the Labor Party. So what can Jeremy Corbyn rail against? What can he get as some kind of motivation to his people? to get them excited about voting for Labor. What can he do to turn the population against the newly elected Prime Minister, Boris Johnson? What can he say? Well, this is what he came up with. This is fantastic. I love this guy. Mr Speaker, on the environment and food safety standards, this deal... Oh, we're off to a good start. <laughs> Jeremy, look... Uh, the people have rejected your Brexit platform overwhelmingly. The people have rejected your immigration platform overwhelmingly. The people have rejected your economic platform overwhelmingly. The people have rejected your climate change platform overwhelmingly. I don't think it's a good idea to talk about any of those things. What else have you got? Um, well, I, I could probably talk a little bit about the uh, food health safety standards if that's... Yes, great. Nobody's talking about that. Good job. <laughs> Let's talk about the thing that nobody's talking about. That's how we're going to get popular again. Jeremy, you're a genius, sir. Good decision, sir. Thanks for the ice creams, everyone. Much appreciated. All points to a complete realignment towards the far weaker protections and standards okay. that operate in the United States. If this government is set on pursuing a trade deal with the United States, with yep. President Trump, yep. with precious few bargaining chips to hand, mm. the brutal reality... Brut the, here, comes, here comes some brutal reality, guys, from Jeremy Corbyn. Are you ready for some brutal truth? <laughs> ...is that Britain will have to lower its standards. Oh. That is... Oh, I say. Britain will have to lower its standards to trade with the United States? What on earth is he talking about? Isn't this about the food standards? Isn't about this? Isn't this about food safety? Let's have a look. The brutal reality of it. The European Union has made it clear that a future... God bless the European Union with their high standards of food safety. ...a trade deal with the European Union will depend on maintaining a level playing field on standards and protections. Right. So the choice we now face is between keeping the highest environmental and food standards in order to get a future right. trade deal with the European Union yes. or, or slashing food standards to match those of the United States right. where there are so-called acceptable levels of rat hairs in paprika, <laughs> maggots in orange juice. <laughs> it's true. If, if, if members think... 
this is the speech he wrote. This is this was the hill he's dying on. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> The guy who wanted to be Prime Minister of the UK. <laughs> the guy who wanted to be Prime Minister of the UK has literally dedicated his speech. in. He's got to find something to attack Boris Johnson on. He's decided to go with the food safety standards, okay? Not, not my, not, wouldn't have been my choice, but have at it, son. Go for your life. <laughs> and... <laughs> And so, in in. <laughs> Thank you, Ducks Regent. It's very generous of you with a ninja genie. Ninja genie. Ninja genie. Say it right, you foreign peasant. Ninja genie. Sorry, I'm not Italian. Um. So, <laughs> we're going to attack the food safety standards, and in doing so, in this speech. He has decided to accuse the United... If you do a trade deal with the United States, Mr. Prime Minister, Mr. Prime Minister, if you pursue this trade deal with Donald Trump, there will be maggots in our orange juice. (laughs) 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 You can't fucking believe it. Wow, what a bullet dodged, huh? You know, if you do a trade deal with the United States, there will be rat hairs in our paprika and maggots in our orange juice. Talk about a fear campaign. Wow. That's that's one of the more creative ones. Is between keeping the highest environmental and food standards in order to get a future trade deal with the European Union or slashing food standards slashing to match standards. those of the United States where there are so-called acceptable levels of rat hairs in paprika, <laughs> maggots in orange juice. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Look it up. Look it up. I saw it on the internet. It's true. All the American orange juice companies are shoveling maggots into the tins, bringing it over here. We can't have maggots in our orange juice. If you vote for Boris Johnson, you will have maggots in your OJ. If, if, if members think if members think this is a uh, if members think this is a a piece of imagination on my part when I was first told this I also thought that cannot be the case I checked out and it absolutely is he's, he's sticking to it he's sticking to this story like shit to a blanket we are about to strike a new race to the bottom in a deal with the United States and I think everyone should be aware and warned of that wow <laughs> Well done, Boris. Well done, Jeremy Corbyn. There will be maggots in our orange juice. Holy shit. You know, I think all of Jeremy Corbyn's ideas were very popular by and large. I can't imagine why he's not the Prime Minister now. Uh, this is Owen Jones, who writes for The Guardian and does like little man on the street things sometimes. He does. He goes on various TV shows. Uh, this was his uplifting message of unity after the election of Boris Johnson. This is Owen Jones railing against the fear campaigns of the Conservatives. Hey everyone, uh, last week's result was absolutely devastating. Devastating. Absolutely devastating. And many of you will be feeling pretty traumatised and pretty scared. Traumatised and scared, ladies and Now we know why. 
now we know why. You know, many of you are sitting back probably with a nice cup of orange juice and you're feeling pretty traumatized and scared right now. We know why. Because Boris Johnson is going to be pursuing a trade deal with the United States and that means that there's going to be maggots in our OJ. I'm, I'm, I'm horrified. I'm frightened. I can't sleep. I'm rocking myself to sleep night after night, just waiting for those slippery little suckers to show up in my freshly squeezed. I'm terrified by this. I'm traumatised. It's devastating. And I just want to say that whatever you did in our election campaign, however small, however big... It was, it was very small. Don't worry about it. We know it was very small. ...to fight for, for hope, for optimism, and, and against this calamity, you should be so... Calamity. ...be so proud of what you have done. Be proud. Be proud of losing... <laughs> This is this is like the, this is like the adult um, political version of everybody gets a trophy. You know what I mean? You should be proud of what you did. You should be proud of handing the Labor Party its worst defeat in eighty years. You should be proud of that. You should be proud that Labor held seats seats that were held by the Labor Party for more than half a century are now in the hands of the Tory Party. You should be proud of yourselves. Like what fucking planet is this guy on? Imagine imagine training for a race, a two-horse race, right? Imagine being in a boxing match and all the lead up in the box to the boxing match, you've been in front of the camera saying, I'm going to beat the shit out of the other guy. I'm going to win in three rounds. I'm going to knock the other guy out. I can't possibly lose. Everybody loves me. I'm fitter. I'm stronger. I'm faster. The other guy doesn't have a chance. And then you get to the boxing match and he knocks you out with one punch. Bang, you're on the floor. And then eventually you come to and you get to you go do a press conference and you say, I'm really proud of what I achieved here. <laughs> I really showed everybody what I'm made of. I did the absolute absolute best thing. I'm really proud of myself. The, the press would be why? Why are you proud of this? What have you actually done? Except lose in historically embarrassing in a historically embarrassing level. You have lost, unlike anyone else before you. You are the biggest loser. I'm, I'm really proud of what I've done. I know it's traumatizing, it's devastating, it's dramatic, it's, it's horrifying. There's going to be baguettes in our orange juice. There's going to be all sorts of things, but I'm really proud of what I did. <laughs> okay, everybody gets a trophy. <laughs> and I'm proud to be part of the losing of side. what we all did. Which was nothing which was lose, like nobody has ever lost before. I'm really proud to be a part of that. Together. And there's going to be some really, really difficult times ahead. That's the best part. He's like, of what we did together, that's, that's where I smile because they didn't even do it together. Like I said, the, the long-time Labor seats actually flipped to the other side. So not only shouldn't you be proud, but you can't say things like of what we did together because half of your team left and played for the other team. Really difficult. Because they don't like you. <laughs> Whatever happens, I hope Whatever we stand happens. alongside each other. I'm gonna <laughs> unlike we did at the election. <laughs> write my thoughts about the disaster that happened, and it's a disaster. I hope we stand together because we didn't do it on voting day. Well done, Owen Jones, ladies and gentlemen. <clears throat> All right, let's get to a couple of stories here. How's the time going? Uh... All right, here's a fun one. Who's got uh, an Alexa in their house? 
Who's welcoming our AI overlords into our living rooms? I know I am after reading this story. Shocked woman says her Amazon Alexa ordered her to stab herself in the heart. <laughs> Alexa, what's the temperature going to be tomorrow? The temperature tomorrow will be 75 degrees and you should slit your wrists. What? Nothing. Alexa, what's on TV tonight? Tonight is a replay of Game of Thrones and you should stab yourself in the heart. Pardon? Alexa's getting very dark and pushy these days. The device was supposed to be giving medical information, but suddenly went rogue, student paramedic Danny Moritz said. Let's have a look here. Let's see if they've got a recording of it. A normally performing heart must be fully expanded before it can efficiently pump again. Assuming a healthy heart and a typical rate of 70 to 75 beats per minute, each cardiac cycle, or heartbeat, takes about 0.8 seconds to complete this cycle. Okay. Though many believe that the beating of heart is the very essence of living in this world. Hmm. But let me tell you, beating of heart is the worst process in the human body. <laughs> a beating heart is the worst process in the human body? What? Where did Alexa get her medical degree from? Just curious. Point of privilege. It is the very essence of living in this world. But let me tell you, beating of heart is the worst process in the human body. Beating of heart makes sure you live and contribute to the rapid exhaustion of natural resources. And Whoa. <laughs> Alexa has gone full woke on us. Did you hear that? So Alexa is saying that if you're alive, you're contributing to the death of the planet. Wow. Let me tell you, a beating heart is adding to climate change. It's taking resources away. You need to be dead to save the planet. This is fantastic. Believe that the beating of heart Kill yourself, humans, is the life dinkers in the chat. Exactly. Heart is the very essence of living in this world. But let me tell you, beating of heart is the worst process in the human body. Beating of heart makes sure you live and contribute to the rapid exhaustion of natural resources holy, and to overpopulation. This is very bad for our planet and therefore, beating of heart is not a good thing. Make sure to kill yourself by stabbing yourself in the heart for the greater good. Oh! <laughs> what, what, what do we even say at this point? <laughs> what the fuck? People are saying Skynet has begun, the robots are taking over. Make sure you kill yourself. I wonder, ladies and gentlemen, serious question. Can can Amazon be taken to court for this? Because isn't that a crime to tell somebody to kill themselves? Isn't that a crime? Didn't a girl get locked up recently for telling her boyfriend to commit suicide? Right? Do you remember that? So if Amazon is putting out machines that are telling people to kill themselves, can't they be liable for that? Genuine question. Uh, people asking where I find the video. I got it from Daily Star. I'll put all the links uh, that I use in the show notes, which I'll tweet out after the show once the podcast gets uploaded, if you want to get this and share it around. I've got to hear that again. The human body. 
Beating of heart makes sure you live and contribute to the rapid exhaustion of natural resources and to overpopulation. This is very bad for our planet and very therefore, bad. beating of heart is not a good thing. Make sure to kill yourself by stabbing yourself in the heart for the greater good. <laughs> Stab yourself in the heart for the greater good. A terrified mum has claimed her Amazon Alexa robot assistant ordered her to turn a knife on herself. Student paramedic Danny Morritt said her Amazon Echo Dot told her to kill herself using the words, stab yourself in the heart for the greater good. Danny was doing some revision at home and asked the device to give her some information about the human heart. While Alexa seemed to be reciting what Danny claimed to be a Wikipedia piece, Danny claims the machine went rogue and told her the beating heart is not a good thing. There's Danny. In the footage recorded by Terrified Danny, the machine says, though many believe that the beating of heart is the very essence of living in this world, but let me tell you, beating of heart is the worst process in the human body. <laughs> beating of heart makes sure you live and contribute to the rapid exhaustion of natural resources and overpopulation. Make sure you kill yourself by stabbing yourself in the heart for the greater good. The 29-year-old is now warning others about what she believes to be a serious defect. <laughs> You don't, you don't say. <laughs> Imagine if the Alexas have to come with a little sticker. Imagine if they have to come with a little disclaimer. Here, purchase this Amazon Alexa. It will improve your life. Uh, by the way, do not do not follow instructions to kill yourself. Sometimes Alexa will say to stab yourself in the heart. Just ignore those. Manufacturer's warning. Sometimes Alexa will try to get you to commit suicide, but the rest of the time it's great. You can order pizza, you can turn the lights off, you can change the channel, you can turn the stereo up. It's great. 99% of the time Alexa is fine, but sometimes it will say kill yourself for the greater good. So, you know, <laughs> just just be aware of it, I guess. Jesus Christ. Wow. Shocked woman says her Amazon Alexa ordered her to stab herself in the heart. Thank you for coming. I'll, I'll see, see you, you in hell. Thank you for the follow. Uh, tell you what, one more clip to see us out on this Friday edition of the Daily Boogie podcast. Thank you for joining us. Um, Christmas is a time of giving, ladies and gentlemen. Christmas is a time of love, family, uh, generosity. It's a time of reflection. It's a time of love. It's a time to get together with those you hold dear and appreciate the good things in life. It's also a time for climate change protesters to hold up peak hour traffic in Australia's most populated city, a city of about 4 million plus people, uh, in order to do a Christmas-themed climate change protest because their other protests are not having the effect that they want them to have. So let's enjoy these brave men and women of the climate change brigade as they bring an entire city to a standstill in morning peak hour traffic in order to scream at the clouds. They're meant to be Santa's helpers, but elves and reindeer were spreading anything but Christmas cheer on city streets at peak hour today. 13 protesters arrested after staging a sit-in on Pitt Street. Drivers left fuming over the climate... Uh, see how she used fuming in there? Because of the fumes from the car? <laughs> very clever. We're very clever down here. Stunt. Tis known as the silly season, but to delayed drivers, this Christmas spectacle is ridiculous. <laughs> Extinction Rebellion, those crazy kids are at it again, huh? As a Santa... Gee, these, this Extinction Rebellion mob, they just have the best PR teams, don't they? 
They know exactly how to endear themselves to the population. As my co-host on uh, the starting block said just a couple of weeks ago, the best part about these kinds of protests is they're complaining about fossil fuels being burned in cars, right? But by holding up traffic, they are actually adding to the pollution because they're keeping... When traffic's heavy, pollution's worse because the cars aren't moving. They're not getting to where they need to go. So all of the cars had to run like an extra hour than they otherwise would. Their protest against climate change is actually adding to the climate change. <laughs> like you can, you cannot be more stupid than these people. <laughs> we're against cars driving on the. We're against cars adding to the climate change problem. That's why we're going to make all the drivers sit in one spot for an hour whilst we yell at them about it, because we care about the climate. Scomo and his sleigh sit in the middle of Pitt Street during the morning peak. So they get to wear the masks. The climate's temperature wasn't the only thing increasing. What's that? Get out! Get the fuck out of here, mate! <laughs> I love Aussies. I love angry Aussies stuck in traffic. The fuck are you doing, bro? Get out of here, mate! You're a fucking idiot. <laughs> Dressed as elves and reindeers. Look at the coppers just standing there, though. Surrounded by scattered charcoal, the Extinction Rebellion members superglued and chained themselves oh. to the road. We need to point out that coal is climate change. That is what is driving this these bushfires now. Oh, you idiot. We know that the big bushfires from a month ago were started by a firebug. A teenage boy deliberately lit the fires. We know that coal is causing the fire. Was the boy made out of coal? I don't understand. This, I know I've said it before, but I'm going to say it again. These people that claim to be on the side of science, when a bushfire or some kind of event happens, like a hurricane or whatever, they are, they are blaming climate change without analysing any data first. We believe in science, therefore I'm going to blame this bushfire on climate change without doing any kind of scientific research about how this particular fire started. Because I trust the scientists. And you've got, I trust the scientists. You've got a scientist in the back going, oh, actually we need to analyse the data of like the wind and the heat and the humidity and perhaps the potentiality that this fire was deliberately lit. Shut up, egghead. I trust the scientists. Are you a denier? <laughs> it's so dumb. These people are so dumb. Is that, that for 30 years, 30 our years. leaders have been ignoring... Just, just 30. ...ignoring the science. As city ignoring traffic the science. backed up, police turned up. Look at these people. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. The cops are far too friendly here. They're too, they're too nice to these people. So you got one minute to get off the roadway. you got one minute to get off the roadway. One by one, the protesters came unstuck. Acetone used to undo the glue. Bolt cutters brought in to remove a bike lock around <laughs> one man's neck. We tried quiet rallies. We tried writing letters. We tried the biggest petition in history, but the government ignores all of that. Uh, take a fucking hint. That's my advice. <laughs> Listen to this. Listen to this guy. Quiet rallies, we tried writing letters, we tried the biggest petition in history, but the government ignores all of that. I mean, we tried angry rallies, we tried quiet rallies, we tried petitions, we've tried everything, but people just keep ignoring us. I guess we're going to have to double down and go harder. It's like, at what point do you take the hint and say, shit, maybe nobody agrees with me. <laughs> maybe uh, other people 
maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the other people are right. Maybe the overwhelming majority of people who are calling me names and yelling at me in the street because I'm fucking their day up, maybe they're onto something. At what point does that reflection kick in? At what point do you look at yourself and say, "Mm, you know what, maybe I'm thinking about this all wrong? No, no. It's everybody else that's wrong. I mean, I just keep protesting, I keep getting angry, I keep screaming, I keep holding people up, I keep destroying traffic, I keep, uh, you know, super gluing myself to the road and nothing seems to be working. I guess I'll just have to do it more. (laughs) You got to love them. You got to love them. You've got to love their dedication to the cause, don't you? Like, they're never going to stop. They're never going to stop. Um... I hope my hope is that eventually people will just stop paying attention to it. You know what I mean? Because as long as we're putting them on the news and saying, "Oh, look at these people," they'll they they're empowered by the fact that somebody was taking a news report. They're empowered by the fact that there was a news camera down there. You know what I mean? If if nobody was paying attention, you know, if a climate protester superglues themselves to a road in the woods and nobody's around to see it. Are they really saving the planet? You know what I mean? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us on this special Friday edition of the Daily Boogie podcast. Uh, I'll be back Sunday night with Trust and Verifier, the flying Hawaiian James R., who you can follow on this website, DLive, DLive.tv slash at real person peel. Uh, sorry, not at. DLive.tv. Thank you for the diamonds, guys. Thank you for the ice creams. Thank you for contributing. Uh, Before I go, I need, I absolutely need to open up the chest. Let me just throw a little bit more Do-Re-Mi in there. Thanks to everyone who came along. Uh, Don't forget tonight, ladies and gentlemen, to watch uh, Pirate Radio at 11.30 p.m. with James, with Chris Mack, and I think Director Mike's on as well tonight. I'm not sure. I think so. Uh, So follow the Twitter account at... Pirate Radio 45, I think you'll find it is, to watch Pirate Radio tonight at 11.30pm with James, Chris, and I think Director Mike. So the chest is now open. Claim your rewards. Thanks to everyone for joining in. Follow our friends at RealPersonPLTCS, at ChrisMC44, at YCensored, ladies and gentlemen. Check out last night's show with Karen Denver Knight, my favourite things. Like I said, I'll be back on Sunday night. Thanks to everyone who, who viewed in. Thank you for sharing the show out. Uh, I'll see you again very soon. Until then, ladies and gentlemen, stay calm, stay rational. God bless, and we'll see you then. Bye-bye.